New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. To fall in love is natural. For love to last may not be so natural. Long-lasting love that is deeply satisfying and rewarding results from the necessary work that two people do. Self-work is primary to creating a strong, dynamic, and durable partnership over time. Each partner must participate in this strenuous effort. Our guest today suggests that we need to develop skills in order to support lasting relationships. She understands that all relationships go through certain cycles, and today we'll be exploring how to develop skill and awareness in dealing with these cycles with our guest, Linda Carroll. Linda Carroll is a licensed therapist working as a couples therapist for more than 30 years. She also leads workshops and retreats and does phone work with couples. Her experience is deep and varied, including voice dialogue, holotropic breathwork, Angelus Arian's The Fourfold Way, as well as the Diamond Heart work of A.H. Almas. She is a certified imago therapist and a private coach to couples and families. She works with a limited number of couples in a new style of therapy, concierge therapy in which she travels to their home or office for two to six days a year for private all-day sessions. Linda lives in Corvallis, Oregon. Join us for the next hour as we explore the skills that support lasting relationships with our guest, Linda Carroll. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Linda, Welcome. Hi, Justine. I'm so happy to be here. We've started already, haven't I we? I know. It's we've been more... having such a good, exciting time even before we started turning on the microphone. So now we're going to let our listeners in on, on our excitement and enthusiasm about this subject. So first, Linda, I would love for you to just give a little bit of background of what what brought you into this work? How did you how did you figure out these cycles and how how did you come to be working with couples? Well, I I think um, to to go to the real root of it is that I did so much wrong from falling in love with the wrong people from the time I was 11 years old, misunderstanding that chemical crazy trance of romantic love as as a sign that that was somebody I should be with when I really should have paid attention to that feeling and run the other way. 
and and having and finally in my when I turned forty, um, making a real commitment of a relationship with someone I knew was the right person, but I had no idea how to make it work. Neither one of us did really, and so I, I, my idea of what love had been was what I call the first stage, over and over and over again, and getting to the place where in my own well-being in my own in my own health where i was really able to choose somebody who was good for me who had the same kind of um oh who had the ability to make a long-term relationship work which hadn't been true before i i didn't know what to do next and so i began to follow people i started to study everyone i could who was teaching some kind of roadmap that could make sense to me, I didn't have faith in marriage counseling, although, alas, I was starting to do it, but I wasn't doing very well in mar- as a marriage counselor, and I certainly hadn't done well in marriage. And so I had I quit all of it until I, I met my husband and had a lot of did a lot of personal work myself. When I started learning about skills, I I had this incredible moment where I got it that so much of what we call therapy for couples is really not about um, some kind of a mental health disorder. It's about not knowing skills. The first skill, of course, is knowing yourself well enough how to choose well. That's where it has to start. Well, going with that first skill, and you mentioned this in when in your introduction, is like... It, it's sort of a hormonal thing. I mean, yeah. we fall in love. We, we, I think you mentioned in your book, it's like taking a helicopter ride up to the top of the mountain, <laughs> and suddenly we're just transferred up there, and everything is rarefied and beautiful, and 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 there are hormones that are just running running right. the show, right? And our brain changes, and it's like there's a trance, and all we see is what's right about the other person, and we miss all the red flags or what's wrong. Um, and and one of the things I I say in the book, and I believe is you know this is a great ride, enjoy it, but don't get married, you know, or move to <laughs> Fiji, um, or have a baby, or give up your life until you know a lot more about the person than what you feel, because what we feel sometimes is an imposter. There's a lot of advice out there about go with what you feel, but you have to know the difference between the kind of feeling that comes from the real part of you that knows to the kind of feeling that's emotional turbulence. And um, for, for, for myself, I didn't understand healthy attachment. So what I thought was the indications of a good relationship were these crazy feelings. And so when I finally figured it out, I didn't know what to do. What do I do with this real person? And so I began to study with all kinds of people, um, many of whom taught skills and communication skills that were that were so important, the relationship roadmap skills, but also tuning into your program week after week and understanding that there is another set of skills that we need and not understanding it then as much as I do now, 30 years later, but that there's another skill set that we need that I would call the deep spiritual wisdom tradition skills because listening is going to get you just so far. And really, we've got to find ways, if we're going to make it good long-term, we have to find ways to know how to expand our generosity, how to understand the difference between good boundaries and bad boundaries. And I, and I think for, for many of us, 
we give in way too soon about things that we need to hold firm with, and we hold firm with things that don't matter. Understanding that difference. So those wisdom traditions are really what come in at the other end of the relationship roadmap. First, it's the communication skills, but then it's, you know, how to be with yourself, how to steady yourself, know yourself, tune into what the real feeling is, not the imposter of anxiety or or want. Well, that's that's a big hurdle, let's say, because we want to believe, oh, this is our soulmate. We're feeling it and we're we're encouraged by all the books around and all the the magazine articles and even watching television and seeing everything that, that oh, this is my soulmate. Yeah. And we keep contorting ourselves to make that so and ignoring the signs. Well, also, I think the whole idea of soulmate is a Walt Disney creation. That, you know, if you, I mean, a good a good partner challenges you. A good partner is going to put a mirror in your face, and it's not always going to be fun. Uh, uh, the, the soulmate ideas of the 90s was you look into someone, it was like the 50s movies. You look into someone's eyes and you know you belong together, and off you go into the sunset. And there's no room in the soulmate story for boredom, annoyance, feeling crazy on some days, wishing you were single. All those human feelings that come in, and any person, I think, most people at least, that the idea of soulmate was something that was going to take us over and fulfill and complete us, when the truth is, is that we have to do that for ourselves. You know, that reminds me of something in my early relationship with Michael. Um, and I had had several relationships before, committed relationships before I met him. And I was like in my early 30s, maybe 30, when I first met him. And it was like coming together like, oh, this is really an important coming together for some reason. I just knew it in my gut. And he said something to me that blew my socks off that no one had ever seen said to me before in in a relationship and he was very clear about it he said Justine I want you to know that I love you very very much you are very important in my life this is an important relationship for me I love you I'm committed but I want you to know you are not everything in my life oh wow isn't that what that no that, man no. had Ever said that. I mean, I was, up until then, I was everything to the, yeah. to my partner's yeah. life. I was the moon and the sun and everything. I was used to that. And here's someone who's That's- saying, I'm, I am not everything, and, and you will be also that way, too. And he said that right at the very beginning. And it, it, what was that like? Well, it really took me back, Linda. I just it took me back because I was so used to something else. But it it established a kind of ground that was different. This was going to be different and it was different. It's not, not that a, we didn't have to walk up the mountain yeah, still. Yeah. But he but it's not a Nat King Cole song. No, or a Cinderella story oh, meeting the prince. And- no, it's like he was laying the ground for acknowledging that you were a whole person already, and so was he. But that's sort of shocking, you know. That that those words, which are so healthy and true, 
I can also see that the first time you hear them could feel almost like a shakeup. Does he really love me? Because what we're taught in our culture, just by our love songs that we listen to, is you are my everything. And if you're not, something's wrong. So you started out with something very healthy. That was the end. And shocking for for what we have been fed is the romantic myth. Well, exactly. And and as I say, then then you walk up the mountain. You still it doesn't mean that okay, everything everything is going to work out and you're going to not have to do it develop some skills and listening and understand boundaries and understand like codependence, I mean, and enabling and all of that stuff. We went yeah. through all of that. And some things don't work out. That's the other thing. Good good marriages have bad problems. In the same way that really fine people have strong troubles. And we're human beings. And so you put two people together and there's going to be areas that never get better. It's just that we can get better about how to manage those areas. You know, this is this is a, sh- a sort of shallow, but in a way it isn't. We're staying at Friends in San Francisco right now. The first thing that my husband ever said to me 40 years ago is he walked into a farmhouse in New Zealand and he said, hi. And then he said, why are you doing the dishes like that? You know, it's totally wrong. <laughs> that, that was, that was the, our, our introduction. Last night, I was doing the dishes with friends, and he said, you know, you're doing the dishes wrong. You're still doing it wrong. I mean, for 40 years, we've had the argument about how to do the dishes, and sometimes it's been really nasty. And I mean, I would like to use this time to talk about who was right and wrong, but I won't. But that, but we can actually, some things don't get better. That's a small thing. They're the big ones, too. Let's talk about that in just one moment. I'm here with Linda Carroll. She's the author of Love Cycles, The Five essential stages of lasting love. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, lindaacarroll.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Linda Carroll, and she's the author of Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages for Lasting Love. And Linda, you were you were just talking about, like, how long have you been with your partner now? 30 years. 30 years. Okay. The first thing that he ever said to you was, you're doing the dishes wrong. <laughs> and like yesterday, he's, you're still doing the dishes wrong. So... What can you say about that? What Tell us. Well, well, the first time he said it, I was annoyed. I thought, who is this guy? And then I found out all sorts of wonderful things about him, um, like he was a vet. That was so, that, that sort of made that okay. 
But then we went through a lot of years where there, where that became kind of a symbol of all the ways we didn't fit. I mean, we are very, we're so different. You know, he's a New Zealander. I'm an American. He's a outdoor person that that loves the seasons and I still think the Four Seasons is a restaurant. I'm from San Francisco. You know, I I drug him to those places and he took me to the woods and that was all wonderful during the romance, but we're, what we came back to was the that we are really different in our personalities, in our in our culture, in our in the way that we um look at the world on one level. At another level, we are absolutely simpatico in a soulful way. We have the same sense of life, what it's about, what matters. And that we come back to again and again. But those other things drive us crazy about each other. And they still drive us crazy. They're not different. It's just that we have learned so much more about managing where it doesn't work. And and I don't mean every day, but I mean a lot more days than we used to. You know, there's a lot more generosity, letting it go, laughing. When he said that about the dishes, I just laughed and he laughed. That that necessarily wouldn't always be true. But um, it, so how do we get there? We got there with practicing to fill in a lot of the space with a lot of good will. You know, one of the things that... Um, you mentioned, I, I went to a book signing, and I remember you saying this, and it really struck me as something so wonderful and so honest. You said one of the rituals that you do with your partner is that every single morning, he brings you a latte. That's I right. Think. Yeah. Every single yeah. morning. And what you said, you said, sometimes it, it's not always... With love and a smile <laughs> on his face. So can you can you say something about well, that? that? Yeah, he does that. It's, that's a, I think of that as a bank account of goodwill. And he does. He brings it to me each morning. Sometimes he hands it to me and says, have a wonderful day, sweetheart. Other times he hands it to me and he's sort of serious and doesn't say much. Sometimes he's annoyed with me and he'll punish me by putting the latte on his side of the bed so I have to reach over for it and and get it rather than putting it in my hand. But it's but it comes every day and it's like a I think of it as money in the bank. Those things that we do for each other even when we're annoyed or upset that we continue to do those um, acts of generosity and caring that what those do is they can they can carry us through some of those really difficult winter seasons of love and and one of the things that i think is a is a real trouble is not that love goes in cycles not that there are hard times or long periods of of disconnection the trouble is what we do during those times if we stop those rituals of goodwill if we stop putting putting quote money in the bank account of our relationship and if we start playing out the hard moves in that time, punishing, retreating, stonewalling, betraying, those are much harder to clean up than just allowing it there to be times where it doesn't work very well. You know, and there are times where it doesn't work very well. I believe that. And I believe that not just from my own life, but seeing people, not just clients, but also friends. You know, there are there are and, and, and just like in one one individual human being has times where we don't have it together. It, was, it wasn't a great year, you know, in, in 28. 
you know, I'm making that up. Um, so if you have two people together, of course you don't have every day be ha ha hooray. And there may be outside stresses that are coming in. It may be be. financial stresses. So somebody loses a job or there's a death in the family or or illness. Or aging. All right. We want to get into that. Yeah. Yeah, Because that's a big one, you know, or kids leaving home, kids coming back. Kids, the trouble that 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 can bring parents, aging parents, dying parents, aging selves, dying selves. So there's no way... Linda, in relationship is what I hear you saying, that you can just say, okay, we've arrived. No, you can't. No. <laughs> this, we've, no. we've come to the, the place we can really set up our tent and, and just dwell here because life happens. Life unfolds. You can, well, you can say it. Most of us do. You know, we teach these, these courses called Love Cycles, this program. Um, and we, we welcome everyone in the program. But... Truly, between you and me and the people who are listening, the I, the people I dread not people who are in a who are in a terrible mess. I welcome them because we can help them figure out how to get out of it. It's the people who've been together three months and they know they found their soulmate and they've cracked the code and they come in because it's the right thing to do to quote learn the skills and they just look at everybody in the room and feel pity for everyone because they know that they will never have those issues. Those are the hard ones that come in because they haven't even started on the journey yet. They're still up in, you know, in in the uh, the ethers. rarefied air, yeah, not realizing what's ahead. Those are the annoying couples. Those are the hard couples to work with because there's nothing to work with. They know everything. It's all it's all perfect. Right, right. And let's let's talk about like some of the things that go on. Uh, one of the things I know you mentioned in in your book, you you use a particular couple. And and I I have experienced this is the the sense of betrayal. I mean yeah. that's a big yeah. one when when we feel betrayed. And I just want to say about my own experience of it that when when I had an inkling that something was going on that didn't feel right, I I confronted Michael with it and I said, "What is going on?" And I asked him. You know, eyeball to eyeball, face to face. Is this going on? And he said, no. And, you know, for me, I really, I believed him. So then what that did for me is that I told myself, I must be crazy. Yeah. I must be crazy. And I remember walking out of the house I didn't know where I was going to go, but I knew that I was crazy and that then there was no place for me to go. And I sat on the stairs and I just thought, well, where am I going to go? I just don't know. And he came down and he came down the stairs and sat beside me. And he said, Justine, you're not wrong. Oh, God. I did. Oh. I did do that. I that That happened. And Linda, I felt so relieved that I wasn't crazy, that the betrayal had just, it just was such a small, small, tiny, tiny, tiny thing compared to the relief I felt that the lie was out in the open now. So do you have an experience of that when you work with couples? I have, I could say so much about that. Um, 
I could, first of all, I think betrayal goes on in every marriage, different kinds of betrayals, you know, the big ones and little ones. And, and the, but what you're talking about specifically is, is um, probably an affair. Is that, and, yes. and that is, and that's a, a heartbreaking betrayal. And this is not in defense of Michael, um, say it lying to you. It's not a defense. It's not defensible because it, it is a betrayal. But you know, honest people have affairs. And the only way they can live with it is because they can become so disassociated that it's actually happening. They can compartmentalize the affair so much that they actually don't think that they're doing it. I mean, we all do this. We displace it's a, you know, a, a common enough uh, um, way that people manage their lives is by denying that there that there's some way that we will form a reaction against people who quote do that not realizing we're doing it but when he looked at you and said no I'm not you know I think probably a part of him really believed that he wasn't because how can you do this how can you live one life and then pretend it's not happening when you go to another and you know the research about affairs is so interesting I just wrote an article on this for mind body green which I write for that one of the biggest misconceptions about affairs is that they happen because a person's not happy with the marriage or there's something wrong with the marriage. Something's wrong with every marriage. That's not why affairs happen. They happen for lots of reasons. But but one of them, um, but but in the in the follow up of people who have had affairs, the majority of them want to stay with their partners. It's not that they're unhappy. It's that they got. It's a a slow kind of thing that can happen. It happens with proximity. It happens because we have a culture that wants more. We always want a little more. And here's the thing that goes back to the the lie. It happens because we we form a series of steps with a person. We don't, most people, some do if they're serial affair people, but most people don't go looking for it. There's a series of steps where we connect with someone and it really feels good, and we decide not to tell our partner. But it's small. Oh, well, why It's why, why just say I had lunch with my colleague? It'll just upset her. That's the first lie. But it's a small enough one that we step over that line. Then once we have done that first lie, then we move into kind of a, a relationship of intrigue with this other person where we don't talk about it which builds the energy up of that relationship. And then all suddenly we find ourselves over another line and another line, but it's a series of small enough lines that we can self-justify until finally we're in the big mess. And at that point, many people have become skilled at keeping this away from themselves, not just their partner. Right. They go home, they have dinner, they love their wife, they, you know, they play with their dog. They don't think about it. It's not in them. They're in these two different worlds. And then when they're caught, the first thing that comes up is the denial part. The article that I'm I'm writing is about myths about affairs. One of the myths is that a marriage is over when that happens. Because most of us say, that's the one thing I could never handle. I certainly have said that. But you know, you don't know till you're there what you can handle. And the truth is, is that some of the best marriages I know have come from the biggest messes, including affairs, because there is no small way to put it together. You have to clean out every part of your psychological closets. You have to get so raw and real with each other to clean it up. You don't sort of go back. 
You let that marriage go and start a brand new marriage, and that comes out has to come out of the best part of you. People don't talk about that. So what we see are the people who have the big messes and it all falls apart that became become embittered. Most people we don't see that put it together brick by brick and build a much stronger house. Well, I, I totally agree. I mean, that was my experience that our relationship came out of that stronger than ever. Yes, there was something right. about the honesty about it, about it, it just it just a new foundation. So uh, thank you for sharing your insights on that. I'm here with Linda Carroll, and she's the author of Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Linda Carroll, and she's the author of Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. And uh, if you'd like to know more about her work, you can go to her website, lindaacarroll.com. Carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, lindaacarroll.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. Linda, I want to ask you, um, we think of longevity, of, about a relationship that is long-lasting, that that is the mark of a good relationship. But that may not actually be the case, I think, possibly, I think. No, when people talk about long-term marriages, there's two kinds of long-term marriages. There's endurance runs where people have either given in to just being mad and not worked anything out or become parallel and maybe become, maybe those marriages grow into something better. But but we're not talking about thriving marriages. So a long-term marriage is not a thriving marriage. It's a long-term marriage. With some friends of my parents came over, they'd been married 40 years and they they clicked their glasses at 40 years and I was about 16 and full of judgment about everything. But I remember this so clearly. They clicked their glasses at 40 years, and then the whole conversation stopped, and nobody had anything to say. Neither of them had anything to say to each other. My parents had nothing. The whole room got very silent, and then they started in talking about something else. But there was like, yeah, we made it to 40, and that was longevity rather than what a rich ride it's been. You know, let's talk about what what let's talk about what it is we've been able to or to do or, together. or just take for example, let's say a relationship has been together for five years and and it was full and yeah. thriving, but then some for some reason it ended. That may be a very successful relationship. That's right. It could be. Yes, it could be. It's right. It's not about longevity. It's about what's in the life. I mean, we certainly can, can think of examples in our life of human beings that die young, but the fullness of what they've lived is unbelievable. 
And that is, that's true about relation. No relationship lasts forever, Justine. I don't need to tell you that. We, you know, we, 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 we do, this is such a cliche, but it's, it has to be an inside job because it starts and ends within ourselves. Some people go together for a longer ride than others, but they all end. We part, somebody leaves somebody. That's going to happen. I remember early on in my relationship with Michael, um, somebody in some one of our circles mentioned the fact he he said, "Well, you know, uh, your relationship is going to end." And I looked at him and I said, "What are you talking about?" And I at that point I couldn't imagine our my relationship with Michael ending. And he said, "Well, one of you is going to die That's one right. day." And I had never thought yeah, about yeah, that. It yeah. just never occurred yeah. to me. Oh, all right. <laughs> you know? All relationships it, end. In 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 yeah. some way or That's another. Right. That's right. In some way or another. Yeah. And let's let's talk about the aging process. If we're going to be with someone over a long period of time, we're most likely going to face some obstacles of the aging process. Some of us <laughs> age more be better with better health than others. So say what you can about that. Well, I, everything can get everything can be very sweet, and then one person starts losing their memory, and you start fighting over who put the keys down. You know, hearing go everything's every it all our bodies wear out like old Ford Falcons. That's what I'm discovering. You know, knees go, hips go, eyes go, and how do we accept that in ourselves? You know, it's there's this wonderful. Uh, I have this wonderful sense of of um, on the days when I feel so grateful for my husband, and I think of him aging, and I just want to celebrate every moment of his life. But the truth is, when he can't hear something and he's annoyed, I'm annoyed at him. When we're in a, at watching a movie and he keeps saying, "Well, what did they say? What did they say?" I don't want to stop the movie and tell him. I want him to be quiet because I'm in it. You know, the the generosity factor, which is been, uh, and I believe, been researched and researched as the most important quality there is in a relationship is generosity. That really comes in when we're aging. And so does the irritability factor. And I'm highly irritable. So no matter how much the feeling for him may be full of love and appreciation, the truth is when he's lost his wallet twice in two hours, I don't want to hear about it. Now, that is not very generous or good to admit on the air when I've written a book on love. But it's the truth. So what we're up against when we're aging with our partner is how how that affects us in all kinds of ways. And and also, I think, you know, there, there's, a, there's a, a lot of depression that comes in as people get older. Depression is such a marriage killer. Wow. You know, it does it does more damages than than affairs any day, and and uh, and many people who are dealing with their mortality become very depressed. Sometimes they become depressed because of all the medication they're getting and all the cross medication. There's all kinds of reasons. I've had so many men in my office who are so depressed because they can't run, and they didn't realize that they're running was a medication management, a depression management technique. When they stop doing that, they're really hit with trying, you know, the, all of the, the pain of what depression is. People get sick, they get depressed. All of that happens in a lot, not all of that happens, but all of that can happen 
in a long-term well, relationship. What would you suggest if you can see your partner spiraling down into depression? What What's a suggestion for that? The, okay, the first, so I, I can give you a lot of suggestions, but that's dangerous yeah. unless the first suggestion is so big, which is ultimately you're not in charge. That has got to be number one. After that, lots of suggestions. But number one, it's their journey. It's their walk. And you may not be able to do a thing about it. All you can do is how you're going to react. And I think, and I, you know, that may sound harsh. But in fact, um, I've just been sitting with people where one person has had two coronaries and won't stop smoking, won't stop eating chips, french fries, every kind of fried food there is. And his partner, who has been with him for decades, is watching him kill himself. And he can't, maybe he can't stop. Maybe there's something in his system. You know, sometimes with food, we don't understand much about why people eat food that's bad for them. Not really. You know, we call them, we say they're weak. But maybe there's some something chemically where he has just got to have this fried food. But in fact, it's killing him. She cooks some wonderful meals. And then he goes and walks down to the corner the the corner diner and eats a bunch of bad stuff. This and this has gone on for a couple of years. The doctor has said you're going to die, and her options are what? So back to your question, she can't get him to stop. So that's number one. Ultimately, we have to deal with our aging ourselves. We don't do it for the benefit of our partner. We do it our own way. And some people's ways are very hard, very painful. That's a that's so big. That's so big. And what you're saying, um, I uh, because I have gone through that. I went through that with Michael, and I had to where it it was specifically with watching him keep up his bad habits of eating and the way he was living and not exercising, and it it was driving me crazy. I kept. I kept doing things to make it better for him yeah. to to cook good things, to have good things in the house. And then he'd go off down to a fast food place, you know, oh, gosh. and it just like, oh my gosh, it was hard. It was hard to to be with that. And I think ultimately for me, uh, what I had to decide is what are my support systems? What, who's supporting me then and and going for for that because I, I I just couldn't be next to that. I, it was hard. Well, didn't you have to decide first of all that your life force was what was the only thing you could take care of? You could not take care of his and the direction it went in? Well, exactly. I could just feel that being in the proximity of it, it just was starting to weigh me down yeah. and I yeah. was starting to just just be at one with it too and, that's and right. do it. And I so had it took to you just, both out. It could take it, you both it out. It could take us both out. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I just said, okay, no, this is I'm I'm not going to do this and and made that decision. So this goes back to the first thing he said to you that day yeah. when he said, Justine, you're not my whole life and and he's not yours that somehow he was acknowledging in that first moment that there was that he had his own life force. He had his own destiny. You didn't understand it. I don't understand it. But I, but I don't know what I do in that situation. You know, I, you know, I, whatever he was doing when he was going to the fast food places after you'd made him a good meal, 
we don't that, that's we beyond don't our understanding yeah. you know maybe he was ready to leave and that was a you know i'm not trying exactly. to make it okay I, I i don't know i don't know the answer to that i know that ultimately it 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 was good what whatever it was it was perfect for him it was perfect for me but i'm reminded when when you're saying that i'm reminded how in in a long term relationship each one of us kind of steps up and reminds the other yeah. of something like there were moments where i would remind michael of what he said early on. Yes. You know, we go in yeah, and out yeah. of consciousness. So yes. maybe one one partner is a little more awake for a moment and reminds the other and then we change and somebody it's the other partner is a little more awake. You know, it doesn't and and so in that beginning statement when he said to you I want to come back to that when he said you're not going to be my whole life, he was giving you permission for 40 years later for you to say that back to him, because that's what you said, ultimately. Yes. You know, I love you. I care about you. We have 40 years I cherish, and I can't go down with—I'm not willing to go down with you with what you're doing to yourself, because I also have myself. It's like that thing he said 40 years ago came to another meaning 40 years later. It's really profound, isn't it? Isn't it profound? Yes, it is. It's just it is. It just and a permission to take your own life force back, but it's but to get there is a heartbreak, you know. And it's also a lot of anger, and also a lot of despair. And talk about another kind of betrayal. If you love me, you wouldn't eat like this. But we are not in charge of anybody else and it's the big lesson and when you're you're in this joint mission like you two were you know creating a a whole world like you and michael did raising a family like people do saving the turtles whatever it is we think that we kind of belong to each other but we don't we don't and that's one of the things ag teaches us is that no matter how rich or deep ultimately we come in alone and we go out our own way i, I remember in our marriage vows uh, we use that that poem from Gibran about yes, standing yes, yes. like two pillars yes. that we are not yeah. falling into one another. I don't right. remember the exact right. quote, but it's just it was like in our original marriage vows yeah. Yeah. that 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 came in, and it, and it was true throughout the relationship. Then, as you say that. We have to take care of it and put our own oxygen mask put on. Put your own oxygen. Yeah. But you're describing a very rich marriage, Justine, in a very real marriage. Yeah. And that's what we need models for when people start at it so they don't get set up to think they're going off into the sunset forever. I'm here with Linda Carroll, and she's the author of Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Linda Carroll, and she is the author of Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. I've mentioned that book title. So, Linda, I would love for you to give us some sort of feeling of these five stages. Okay. So, the first stage, the merge, is we fall in love mediated by hormones, chemicals, brain changes. We know a lot about that now, about who falls in love with who and why. Some of it mysterious, of course, but what it does is it creates a kind of trance where we see only the best, and our bodies are on fire when we're around this other person, so we want more and more. Um, that, that's programmed to last about three years the first time. It has diminishing returns, and each time we fall in love, it lasts less and less, that chemical high. When it wears off, we find out we're with just another human, not someone who can save us from life from our own, finding our own meaning and purpose. In fact, someone who really, in some ways, is not compatible. And if we had known that in the merge, we probably wouldn't have merged, but we don't. So this and is so the second stage. The second stage is doubt, the power struggle. I find out that the, that the things I fall in love with start to annoy me. I fell in love with my husband because he was predictable. And then at some point I said, you're so rigid. You always do everything you're going to say you're going to do. Why don't you change your mind? Or he fell in love with me because he said I was so generous. And then one day he said, you're so um, impulsive. You just give money to everybody. I can't believe it. We're sharing a bank account now. There's a power struggle. And these qualities take a different edge. We get into we get into these roundabout, I call them infinity loops. I go into them a lot in my book about the same struggles over and over. And over a long enough period of time, we move into the third stage, which is real disillusionment or disenchantment. Kind of like the first, only the opposite. First, we have a golden glow over everything. Third stage, we're stuck in loops. We're stuck in a, in a fight. We're stuck with a... a, a a shadow over everything. So where we saw just the best, we now see just the worst. People can stay in that a long time where nothing works and there can be hard moves on the one hand. And on the other hand, there can also be a diminishing of the good things we do for each other, those kind, caring behaviors like the latte. And that really breaks our heart because we are withdrawing the affection that's the bond of love. So people who understand this, and I talk again a lot about this, know that even on those darker times or months or years, that doing those acts of loving behaviors for each other is what carries us through. So uh, establishing our bank account, putting... Our bank account, uh, love bank uh, account. Love bank yeah, account, yeah. yes. Then the decision, which is, what am I going to do? I, I, I either stay uh, and deny that it's... Yeah, that everything is is so in so much pain. A lot of times, people say they have to leave because their bodies are screaming. There's so much stress in this third stage. Uh, that's one is to leave. But I say to people, don't leave without doing the work, because you got to take yourself with you. Two is to stay and do nothing and let it just kind of implode. Three is to go into parallel lives, which is not necessarily bad. You know, some people can have rich lives together without the intimacy that we're all primed to want in 2014, but we don't always get it. And and breaking apart a relationship is a hard thing, especially when you're older and you have established a life together. It's it, it, there's a, There's ways to do parallel lives and care for yourselves, especially when there's kindness that you can practice and generosity. The fourth is to say, let's learn the skills. Let's learn how to love wholeheartedly, and let's decide after we learn them whether we're going to stay together or not. That's the best. And the wholehearted loving is a place from which you learn, you practice empathy, generosity, 
The wisdom traditions come in so big here. Differentiation, which is what Michael said the very first day to you about, we're not two halves of a whole. You're whole, I'm whole. We are both connected and we're separate. And you know, from that place, you can go through all the cycles again. But you know now, you stand in the place of wholehearted and you can fall in love again. You can fall out of love. You can be in a, in a power struggle about the same stupid thing that you've always fought about. You can feel, I'd rather be single on some days. But you have an, a, an ability to come back to wholehearted. It's like a yoga. You get back to that baseline where you know you have your partner's back. And isn't it true? Like when when you're there, you understand that perfection isn't the goal. No, there is no perfection. You know, and one of the skills that I have really done a big job of working on myself, because as I said earlier, I'm so irritable, I really have to work hard on myself, <laughs> is I have the kind of this litany of all the things that that my, that my husband tolerates in me and the ways that I drive him crazy. And when I start to feel annoyed, I say to myself, yeah, but he never complains that I forget to put gas in the car. I mean, I've taught myself how to do this. It's kind of a humbling thing, that that's a kind of a skill of how to practice generosity when your instinct is to be annoyed. So that there are ways we learn to work with ourselves. And that's why I think it's such a people-growing business to be in a relationship and to aim for wholehearted. Not so you go off into the sunset together, but so that you grow your spirit and heart bigger. And a great way to learn it is with another person. You're not going to really learn generosity by living in a cave. No, you're not. You know? <laughs> it's a theory, nice theory, isn't it? But you're going to learn it when you don't want to share that wonderful, you know, fig salad and and your partner uh, didn't order enough and you just say, well, what does it really matter? I mean, that, yeah. that happened last night at a restaurant. That's why I thought of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, sex. <laughs> okay. say, sex and longevity. What yeah. can you tell us about a long-term relationship and how their their sexual intimacy might play out. Well, you know, it's so interesting that I've seen this in my practice, but I've read it too, that so often couples stop having sex because the man has stopped. And, and not the woman, but the man. I mean, we go through a lot of experiences sexually in a long-term relationship. Menopause, you know, for, for many women who cares. Like it's the last thing you want to think about is sex. But we come we go come out of that. What's interesting to me is how often men, because it isn't working right, you know, they have trouble with an erection, they have trouble with ejaculation, they have trouble with premature ejaculation, they have trouble feeling okay about themselves, because men don't talk about this on the tennis courts very often the way women do. So they think something's wrong with them. If you lined every man over 50 up at um, at Home Depot, and got him to, or a Yankees game and told, got him to tell the truth. Half of them would say something didn't work right. That is normal. But they, they feel isolated yes. in like, I'm the only one yes. and everybody else is doing it and they're great. Com- yes, and they're comparing themselves to their 24-year-old self. I think sex after 60 is really great because you know nothing probably is going to work right. Because you don't have a perfect body because you know that it may all fall apart at any minute. And if you have your humor intact, the touching and the feel, the skin contact. And what I think of as sex is so different at 70 than I thought of at 30. You know, it's just about being close and touching and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't and letting it go when it doesn't. But we've got to be so brave to show ourselves to another person in that way. So when I say sex, it's so often for people to think of of 34-year-old sex. 
That's not probably not going to happen. Or to see it as it's depicted on television yeah, or, or movies, you know, those or Viagra. Right. Those are the worst. Oh my God! <laughs> so talk about comparing yourself to you know the dancing Viagra man. Um, so I think that it's I think it's something that the big thing is having the conversation, keeping it open, so you can talk about it, and you can talk about it with generosity and humor and acceptance of your aging bodies that don't work right, but they sure still like to be touched. Exactly. So one one last biggie would be like as um, our financial security when one or the other partner is not making, they're not no longer capable so of making painful. good financial decisions. What can you say about that? It's, it's not much different than what you were talking about earlier about the health thing. You know, sometimes that you have in order to take care of yourself you're going to have to do some painful things because that is a very common thing that's that a person starts to lose it and sometimes we lose it in our knees and sometimes we lose it sexually sometimes we lose it in our mind it just wears out and people make one person makes bad decisions their partner has to be able to take the reins to get support to bring in other people or else both people can lose everything it's harsh and here is the secret the secret is you talk about the stuff before you get there. You talk about it before it happens and, and that you have a long conversation over those 40, 50 years. If this ever happens, here is what I want to be able to do. You know, if, if my husband asked me now, if you start making really bad financial decisions, um, I really want to be able to stop you legally. I'd say, of course, but 10 years from now, if I was losing it, I'd probably fight like crazy. You have the conversation before you get there. So you have an agreement between you that you eat, you do what you need to to protect both of you. And, and the same thing about taking the keys away from the You partner. have to do it sometimes, and that's part of the, the pain of aging. They, nobody shows out in the room. There's no love song about that. <laughs> I love you so much I'm taking the keys and you're Nashville not driving. Nashville isn't coming out with that one <laughs> no, yet, huh? No, you've lost, you've lost it. No, but, that's, but isn't that also love? We have this very this idea of love in this romantic setting, but wholehearted love is I'm not going to let you drive because you're going to smash the car. And I, I hear that we really need to have our support systems that oh, yes. we not just depend on this one person in our life, our partner, but that it's really important to have other other support. Differentiation, which is part of the skills, and I list all these essential skills and in the book and, and and one of them is to keep your own tank full, to make sure that you don't give away your life your friendships, your connections, the people who ground you, you can't get everything from one person, you know, and there's, there's, there's just no way for that to happen. And that there are times we need to stand on our own, stand together and stand apart. Those three things. And we need to have people around us that can support us in our own journey because that's where we start and that's where we end. Linda, I want to thank you so much for being with us and just sharing this enormous mountain of wisdom. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for putting so much out there of your own life. It's just been so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you, Linda. I've been here with Linda Carroll, and she is the author of Love Cycles, The Five Essential Stages of Lasting Love. And if you'd like to know more about her work, you can go to her website, lindaacarroll.com. C-A-R-R-O-L-L, lindaacarroll.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. 
I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3526. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.